Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Dr. Emily Anhalt, a psychologist, emotional fitness consultant, and the co-founder and chief clinical officer of COA, an online gym for mental health offering therapist-led emotional fitness classes. She's a leading researcher into the seven traits of emotional fitness, a specialist in therapy for entrepreneurs and executives, and a contributor to psychology today. She's collaborated with some of the fastest growing tech companies and VC firms in the world, like Google, Asana, TEDx, and Unilever. In today's episode, Emily shares about her passion to make mental health a proactive and daily practice, just like physical fitness. We talk about the benefits of therapy, the seven traits of emotional fitness, tips for creating an emotionally fit office culture, how to better deal with anxiety, like scheduling a worry hour once a week, and tips for how to just feel better. Keep listening to learn more. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. At Purely Elizabeth, our mission is really to help you thrive on your wellness journey. And I'm super excited to have this conversation today because certainly mental health is such a big part of our overall wellness and something that, you know, I feel like only this last year has it even become more in that forefront of the wellness conversation. So I'm super excited to dive in and really start with the beginning of your journey and ultimately what led you to start COA? Sure. So to introduce myself, my name is Dr. Emily Anhalt. I'm a clinical psychologist and I've been practicing about 12 years now, but I grew up in Silicon Valley. And so I've been interested in specifically the psychology of people who might not identify as someone who typically needs mental health support. I wanted to figure out how do we reframe the narrative of mental health from being this very reactive thing that people think that they should only do when they're unwell to being a more proactive thing that we do to promote wellness. So just like with physical health, it's a lot easier if you're working out and sleeping well and eating healthy now than to wait until you get sick and then try to fix that. And I think the same is true with mental health. So when I was in grad school becoming a psychologist, I wanted to understand what does this proactive practice actually look like in real life. And so I did a research study. It's called an interpretive phenomenological analysis. That's a fancy way of saying it's qualitative research where I interviewed 100 psychologists and 100 entrepreneurs. And I asked them, how would you know if you were sitting across the table from an emotionally healthy person? What does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that kind of person do? What do they not do? And out of this research came these seven traits of emotional fitness. And the seven traits are self-awareness, empathy, mindfulness, curiosity, playfulness, resilience, and communication. And so I wanted to figure out how can we start working as a culture on these seven things within ourselves? How can we take responsibility for the parts of our lives that we have agency over and start doing the work a little bit at a time? And while I was working with people individually in private practice, I met my now co-founder, Alexa. And together, she and I had this vision that there should be mental health gyms the way there are physical health gyms. Together, we did a little test of that where we created these pop-ups. We did them in San Francisco, LA, New York, Toronto, and Vancouver, where people could try having a session with the therapist and doing a class for their emotional fitness. 
And they were really successful. And a really cool thing that we saw was that people were hanging out in these spaces for hours, even after their session. And when we asked them about that, they said, well, it was just really nice to build community. I felt safe there because everyone was there for the same reason as me. So that told us that the world is ready for a more proactive and community-oriented way of working on our mental health. And so we raised money last year to open a space, which because of the pandemic got delayed. And so we've been focusing on our digital offerings. So now we run COA, which is the gym for mental health, a place where you can work on your mental health the way you would work on your physical fitness. Well, I absolutely love the concept. I think the proactive approach to mental health and to therapy is just so different. And I feel like it's really allowing to be so much more approachable to therapy that has this stigma. And and maybe you can go into a little bit about, you know, why you think that there is this stigma and how really your approach is hopefully going to change that. Yeah, it's such a good point. We found that the three biggest problems that get in the way of people pursuing this kind of work is stigma, friction, and access. And we wanted to try to reduce all three. And I think the stigma is there, you know, because for a really long time, we have been made to feel like we should be able to handle everything on our own all the time. And that it's some kind of sign of weakness to need support. But, you know, if you think about every world-class athlete that's ever reached the pinnacle of their potential, not a single one of them has done it without a coach, without a community, without support. And I don't know why we expect ourselves to reach our full potential as people without support. And so I'm really excited that lately it feels like the tides are turning a little bit and there's starting to be little seeds of permission for people to speak more openly about these things and to pursue this work more actively. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that I suppose the silver lining to COVID is that conversation on mental health and, or as you call it, emotional fitness, really coming to the forefront and people wanting to actively change that. Yeah, I mean, if if this didn't show us all, <laughs> each of us has more work to do. I don't know what will. You know, we just can't see the tough things coming, so we have to do the work to prepare ourselves. Yeah. Well, it it seems like despite the fact that you had opened up a physical space, I think actually having the digital classes is probably even more approachable for people who might not even be ready to be there physically, but able to A, join from anywhere, but B, just take that like initial step. Oh, yeah. And there's something really powerful about living in San Francisco and connecting to someone in Georgia and someone else in New Jersey and someone else in the UK. And we're all struggling with similar emotions. And there's something very powerful about community anytime you're challenging yourself with something. Definitely. So can you talk a little bit more about those seven traits that you discovered and really kind of what that means and how that unfolds within COA? Sure. So just a reminder, the seven traits are self-awareness, empathy, mindfulness, curiosity, playfulness, resilience, and communication. And if you think about those seven things, they all really affect each other. Like it's hard to be playful if you don't have empathy for others. And it's hard to communicate if you don't have some self-awareness about what's going on inside of you. So the idea with these seven traits is you can kind of start anywhere. You can start your work on any of them and it's going to naturally improve the others. And what we do at COA is we try to combine insight and perspective shifts with really action-oriented frameworks. So my background is in depth-oriented psychology. And really at its core, all that means is that I don't believe in quick fixes. 
I think most of the time when people want help with their mental and emotional health, the problem is not that they need advice and that they don't know what to do. The problem is that they know what they need to do, but they're having trouble understanding why they're not doing it. You know, I know I need to eat better. I know I need to spend more time with people I love. You know, I know I need to pursue work that means something to me, but I'm not. And, and why is that? And so in our classes, it's an opportunity to really look inward and think about how might we be getting in our own way and how might we be actually fighting against the very things we want the most? And how can we have healthy boundaries and communicate what we need and advocate for ourselves and ask for support? And so in every class, what you're going to be doing alongside community and in a very live experiential way is you're going to be thinking about these traits in a slightly different way than you may have before. So for example, when you hear the word mindfulness, what do you think of? I'm curious. I think of being present, I guess. Okay, great. Yeah. So the typical definition of mindfulness is often being present, the breathing deeply, meditating, that kind of thing. And those are all great. But we did one layer deeper, which is why aren't we present? And the reason we're usually not good at being present is because for all kinds of reasons, the present moment is often uncomfortable. Being still with our thoughts is uncomfortable. Tolerating tough situations is uncomfortable. Being still in any way can be uncomfortable. And so in our mindfulness class, what we're teaching people to do is become more comfortable being uncomfortable tolerating that feeling long enough to make the choice that's best for you instead of the one that moves you away from discomfort quickly. And so we explain this and then we give you an actual framework of how do I bring that to life and how do I practice it a little bit every day? Like what is an emotional push-up and how do I do them every day? I love that. That sounds so interesting. So what are the different classes then that you do offer at COA? Sure. So essentially, all of the classes center around those seven traits. And then some of them are about tackling different struggles. So we have classes on imposter syndrome, on burnout, on anxiety. We have uh, Q&A sessions with our therapists where you can ask questions about building better friendships, having better boundaries, political anxiety, being a better ally, all kinds of topics like that. And then we also organize by cohort. So for perhaps you're ready to learn more about emotional fitness, but you want to do it with like-minded people, then you could join a cohort of BIPOC-identified leaders, female-identified leaders, LGBTQ-plus-identified leaders, founders. Maybe you want to just work on your general mental and emotional wellness. Maybe you want to be with other college students or Gen Xers or whatever it might be. And we've seen that it's, you know, one of the things we say is emotional fitness is an individual journey, but a communal pursuit. So when you go to the gym, no one can lift your weights for you. You have to lift your own weights. But it's a lot easier to do that when you have a spot and when there's someone next to you lifting weights and there's someone to show you the equipment and there's someone cheering you on. And that's how we feel about emotional fitness. You have to do your own work. It's not always fun or easy, but it is a lot more fun and a lot more doable when you're doing it with other people who are doing the same kind of work on themselves. I love that analogy. It, ma it makes me think of running a marathon and just, you know, that energy that, that you certainly are the one having to run that 26 miles, but the energy that that community brings to you is what gets you over the finish line and helps you reach those goals. hundred percent. I don't know how anybody could do all of that work without feeling that support and energy of people around them. Well, unfortunately, my very first marathon I ran, <laughs> I thought I would do it in a beautiful place, sidetracked conversation, but I thought I would do it in a beautiful place, went to 
uh, Montana and there was nobody there cheering you on. So I learned the hard way and struggled throughout that race because, you know, the energy of New York would have certainly carried you on. Oh, my gosh. What a difference. Yes. So coming back to the platform, where do you really see the commonalities of people who are seeking the classes and the support? It's a great question. Really across the board. Right. I mean, we believe emotional fitness is for everyone, but I would say that for COA work to work, there needs to be some recognition of the fact that we all have work to do in ourselves. People showing up hoping that we'll tell them how to change the world around them without doing any change within themselves are not going to get what they want. We really are all about agency. And, you know, we recognize that we're all part of greater systems that we don't have control over and that there's a lot that we don't necessarily get to choose. But I also think when it comes to the things we have control over, it's less than we wish, but more than we think. And so we're trying to empower people to start that work on themselves. So people who come to us are usually looking for stronger, healthier, and more satisfying relationships. They want to understand their feelings of stress and anxiety and overwhelm. And then they're also just looking for practices to put into place that are going to prevent mental health struggles down the line. They, they want to do that proactive work. And I find that that's really effective. I mean, as a clinician working with people for many years, what I've seen is that most of the things we struggle with when it comes to our mental health are a result of not having had the tools we needed to face difficult things in the moment. And what we're doing at COA is helping people build the tools to face difficult things as they arise so that they're not building into something really big and overwhelming and insurmountable. So I know that you definitely concentrate on a lot of founders and speaking with different office cultures. I personally would love to hear, you know, as we think about, you know, going back to the office, which we recently did at Purely Elizabeth about a month ago, and just thinking about some tips for really building an emotionally fit culture. Sure. I can definitely give you some tips. I'm just curious how it's felt for you, though. What's that been like for you making that transition? It's for me, it's been amazing. You know, I think we're we're back three days a week. And so having the team together and having that energy back in the room is is so special. You know, the, the connection and that culture that we've built for so long has all been about being in person and having those moments that aren't work related, you know, that sitting around the table eating testing new products and just those water cooler conversations. And certainly all of that was really difficult, I think, to replicate during COVID. So it's it seems to be like a good balance right now, being in the office a couple of days and then at home a couple of days. That makes sense. It really is irreplaceable to be in a room with other human beings and feeling their presence in that way. So that makes sense. Well, let me share some tips because I think a lot of people feel exactly like what you've just expressed, which is relief and gratitude and excitement about being in person. And then there are other people who feel a little worried and anxious and overwhelmed. I mean, in a way, we're all kind of learning to walk again after getting Absolutely. hot thing together. So here are a few tips. The first one is I always recommend that we start with ourselves. So you've heard me say that a couple of times. So sometimes we come into a working environment and we're like, okay, how can we change this work environment? But first, I think it's helpful to say, what do I need? How do I get to know myself? How can I advocate for myself and learn what it is that's required for me to do my best work? The second thing is, at any company, this kind of work has to start with leadership. There's a lot of 
do as I say, not as I do culture in the business world. And that just doesn't work. Like parents will tell you that just doesn't work. So first leaders have to be willing to do the work and model it and show. So at COA, for example, my co-founder and I have our therapy on our calendars, very visible, because we want other people to see that we really do support everyone taking the time out of their day to do their therapy if they want to. And then I'll give you a couple of concrete tips. So one of the things we do at COA is called an emotional fitness survey. So an emotional fitness survey is a way of getting a sense of what people need to do their best work. So whenever someone comes to work with us, we send them this just simple Google survey and ask them questions like, do you like to be praised in public or in private? How do you like to celebrate your birthday? What do you want to see in leadership? What's your communication style? What motivates you? How would you know if you were, how would we know if you were overwhelmed or having a hard time? And so people fill in these questions and we as leadership have also filled it out. And now everyone at the company has this view into what everyone else at the company needs to do their best work. And it really comes in handy. I mean, we recently had someone who was going. So you share that with everybody. Yes. Yes. We make sure people know when they fill it out, your answer is going to be shared with everyone. So know that as you're filling it out. And so recently we had someone who was going through a tough family situation. We went to their emotional fitness survey. And one of our questions is, how do you like to be supported when you're going through a tough time? And they said, I really like a little bit of space at first and then check up on me later. So we knew, okay, let's give her a few days. And then we sent her flowers and checked in on her. And so it's just this really nice way of advocating for yourself and also knowing how to meet people where they are. So one suggestion is think about creating one of those and sending it to people who you work with and, you know, learning about each other a little more. My next tip is being really proactive with communication. Don't let small problems become big problems. Something I say is when we don't express disappointment, it calcifies into resentment. And resentment is a lot harder to clear away than disappointment, sort of like brushing your teeth to avoid emotional plaque. So we have a meeting every week called Friday Wins and Feels, where we talk about what went well that week and where we talk about what didn't go so well that week. And it's just a way of really having proactive communication. And then I also just want to really empower people to build a culture of play into their lives when they come back to work. The play, I think, is really undervalued in the workplace. And it's hard to do because it's vulnerable. Like when we play, our guards kind of come down naturally and that's a little scary. We've all been apart. We don't know how to be vulnerable with each other in the same way. But when you play, you really build community and culture and connection. And actually, I read a study years ago that showed that people who play regularly live longer by a significant number of years than people who don't play regularly. That's how important it is. So start your meetings with an icebreaker game or put together a company-wide game of capture the flag in the park or just ask each other icebreaker questions from time to time. So I think play is a really important one. We're a very competitive, playful group, I will say. Right now we have have a fitness challenge going on. So that one's a good one. I love that. Yeah. Amazing. And then for those who are feeling a little bit anxious, which I know many of us are as these things are changing, a couple tips I have are schedule a worry hour. That might sound weird, but For some of us, anxiety ends up seeping into every moment of the day. And I think that if we have a time of the day or week where all we have to do is worry, then the rest of the time we can say, oh, this is not my worry hour. I will worry about this at six o'clock. In the meantime, I'll focus on what I'm doing. So kind of containing those feelings of anxiety and, you know, focusing where we have our control and leaning into the discomfort when we don't have control. 
think can really go a long way. As you talk about anxiety, it feels like that, I don't want to say the buzzword, but it just feels like it's so top of mind for everybody right now in so many conversations. I think just taking a step back, even of like, what is the definition of anxiety? Uh-huh. And then I guess other tips that you have for really dealing with anxiety. Yeah. Uh, so I think about anxiety as any kind of uncomfortable feeling about something that may or may not happen in the future. So anxiety is very future focused and it comes about because humans are not good at dealing with uncertainty or really not. And so a lot of times anxiety is just serving the purpose of giving ourselves something to do and a feeling of control where we don't have control. And, you know, some of the work I've done in my own therapy and with patients is that deep down, I think sometimes we have a belief that the anxiety itself is what's keeping bad things from happening. And that if we stop worrying, maybe the bad things will happen. And so it can actually almost feel scary to get better because we feel like we're doing something by being preoccupied all the time. But this pandemic has shown us that there's just a lot of uncertainty that we don't have control over and that no matter how much worrying we do, we're not necessarily going to get the answers. So I think there's just something really important about having compassion for ourselves and building our muscle for tolerating uncertainty. And, you know, my biggest tip for anxiety is actually also the best life advice I've ever received. So maybe I'll save that one for later and I can <laughs> say about it. Perfect. So as you think about, you know, what happens in these sessions and, and the therapy sessions, how else do you think about, I guess, that in your total wellness picture? So thinking about what other tips that you have or tools in the toolkit in your overall mental health. So things like meditation or what other or some of your favorite ways just to feel better. Yeah. Let's see. So obviously I'm a little biased here, but I think therapy is such a powerful tool. And I think it's really misunderstood. I think a lot of people think that therapy is only for when you're going through a crisis or when you're really struggling. And actually, I think therapy is for anyone who wants to better understand who they are in the world and who wants to explore themselves and their relationships and to live a more authentic and meaningful life. So for those of you who are maybe a little curious, give therapy a try. And, you know, it's expensive and it's time consuming, but there are sliding scale clinics in every city that you can find good, reasonably priced therapy. And also something I say about the time aspect is when you have a dedicated hour every week to think complicated thoughts and feel complicated feelings, it frees up so much time the rest of the week that I actually think you're saving yourself quite a lot of time by making that investment. So therapy is a big one. And then uh, solicit feedback, I think, is a very powerful mental health tool. We are really good at hiding things from ourselves. So ask people in your life, how am I showing up well as a friend? And how could I be showing up better as a friend? Or what's going well in this job? And what do you think could be going better in this job? Or what's one thing that you admire me for? And what's one thing that you wish that I might do a little bit of work on? Sometimes we're scared of asking these questions, but they really give us the ability to see into the dark corners of ourselves and work on things in an ongoing way. And it, it recognizes that, you know, we always have work to do. And then I guess the last thing I throw out there is have some self-compaction and honor the complexity of who you are. I get a lot of people saying, hey, how can I feel better immediately? 
And it's like, hey, it took you X number of years to become the very complicated person you are. It's going to take more than six weeks for you to change that. You know, we are the way we are for important reasons. And before we can ask ourselves to change, I think first we have to understand and honor and grieve and move through those things. So give yourself a little credit. Absolutely. What's your perspective on sleep? I was just reading an interesting book just about, you know, the effect, even having one less hour of sleep a night, how that can affect your overall health, mental health. So curious where you are on sleep and your personal sleep even. Oh, sure. I mean, so I'll say for my personal sleep is it's the number one non-negotiable for me. I need eight hours of sleep or I just feel awful. I took a really extensive sleep course when I was studying many years ago, and it kind of blew my mind how integral it is to overall health. I think it's one of the ones that people really disregard. And people think, oh, if I don't get enough sleep, it's kind of fine. But it drastically affects your mental and physical health. And there are people out there who are like, oh, I'm not really sleeping at all and I'm not exercising. I'm not eating well, but, you know, how do I feel better? It's like, well, <laughs> there you go. basic human things. So I think sleep is really important. I'm curious for you, like, what is the ideal number of hours of sleep you need to feel good? So I sleep a lot. And this was a big thing. Like my, my COVID silver lining was definitely leaning into sleep. More. I think that first month of quarantine, I was sleeping like 10 hours a night. Now I'm averaging about nine hours. Nice. Yeah, I think each person needs a slightly different amount, but on average, people underestimate how many hours of sleep they actually need. And so if all you change today is prioritizing getting eight hours and seeing how you feel, I think, you know, for everyone listening, I think you'll feel a big difference pretty quickly. It's a big win. So what are your other personal wellness philosophies or what does your diet look like? All of those things. I'm so curious. What a good question. I mean, I'm certainly not the picture of health. One of the interesting things about being in the mental health world is that I'm often telling people to do things that I myself really need to work on. I mean, everyone is essentially dispensing the medicine they need to take the most. So (laughs) there's plenty I could be doing, but sleep's a big one. I do my best to move my body at least a little bit every day and find that I feel a lot better. I'm not one of those lucky people who gets big time endorphin rush when I exercise. I wish I had that kind of positive reinforcement, but I try to do it anyway. What kind of exercise do you do? Oh, I run three times a week and I do a lot of stretching. I was a dancer growing up and so just kind of feeling into my body in that way. But I really admire people who have figured out what is the exercise that brings them joy? Like I did flying trapeze classes for a little while. Oh, how fun. fun. It was so much fun. I looked forward to it so much. And then just for geographical and financial reasons, it stopped being an option after a while. But find the thing that makes you happy. It seems to be the best approach to, to exercise. In terms of my wellness philosophy, I think one of the things that sets me apart from a lot of other clinicians is my depth-oriented approach that I really don't think mental health is about fixing symptoms. I think mental health is about listening to your symptoms as a compass that points toward the real work that has to be done. Like most of the time, if someone's feeling anxious or depressed, it's not the actual feelings of anxiety or depression that are the problem. Those are the things that are saying, hey, there's a problem somewhere inside that needs to be heard. 
So I think it's so important that people listen before they try to quiet those symptoms. And and that informs a lot of the work that I do. Really getting to the root of it. I guess similar to the holistic, you know, functional medicine where it's not just covering up the Band-Aid, but really getting to that root. 100%. On the subject, more on your personal philosophies. Curious if you have a morning routine or a night routine, something that really sets your day or ends your day to be successful. Yeah, what a great question because I just recently, I mean, not that recently now, I guess about a year ago, I, I committed myself to this particular morning routine. And when I was creating it, I really tried to index for sustainability. Like, if you want to start meditating, don't meditate for an hour a day. It's just not sustainable. Start with something really small and work your way up. So right now my morning routine is I wake up and I force myself not to look at my phone. I don't want the very first thing in my brain to be what everyone else wants for me. I want to take a moment to think about what I want for myself and for my day. And so when I wake up, the first thing I do is I meditate, but just for five minutes, that's it. I have a five minute long song that I love and I put it on and I just work on being present with myself for those five minutes. Once that's done, I move my body. Can I let me find it? Because it's really lovely and I feel like it's just the right vibe for my meditation. So it is called Pure All by Dear Gravity. Okay. Pure All. Check it out. Check it out. Let me know what you think. So then after the meditation, I move my body for at least 15 minutes and I made that number feel really doable. I don't have to work out for an hour or anything like that. I'll just go for a 15 minute run or I'll stretch or I'll dance around my backyard, whatever it might be. And then I drink a cup of hot water with lemon, which I just feel like brings me back down and it's good for my body. And then I have breakfast and get ready and start my day. And all those things just feel really doable. It's rare that I wake up and I'm like, I can't handle 15 minutes of movement. Like most of the time that feels doable. And so I've been able to keep it up for a whole year and it's been really nice. I think having that morning routine, at least for me personally, and I feel like I'm talking to so many people, it really just sets your day up for success. And otherwise, if you just get out of bed and go, it it's really difficult, at least for me. Yeah. What's your morning routine? I get up pretty early. So I would say, I think since moving to Boulder and having that time change, I really wanted to get up still kind of on East Coast time. So I get up around five and I'd like to just have a super slow morning. I get up and go on the computer right away, which I know is anti what most people do. But for me, there's something that makes it, I guess, less anxiety inducing and Mm. more just relaxing. You know, like, okay, got this out, out of the way. And then I do my um, morning drink, which is a mushroom drink, followed by a workout. So definitely needing that movement in the morning. And then I take my puppy on a walk or up in the mountains for a little bit and have some breakfast and then start the day. Oh, that's lovely. And I do a five-minute journal for my workout as well. I like that a lot because I think things, thoughts and feelings and all of that can really rattle around in our head and feel bigger than it is. And when we can put it down on paper, it's quite cathartic and I think can really contextualize that it might be less than it feels like it is. Definitely. So what do you think is next for you with COA and what's coming in the pipeline? When it comes to COA, we hope that 10 years from now, people talk about working on their mental and emotional fitness the way they talk about 
their physical fitness. So like 20 years ago, if you were to tell someone that you're going for a run, they'd be like, why? Like, who's chasing you? <laughs> it really wasn't common. And now it's like, oh yeah, of course you're going for a run. And that's what we want for emotional fitness. We want people to say, oh, I'm going to my emotional fitness class or I'm working on my communication today or whatever it might be. So we're really excited to work toward that kind of reality. And we are continuing to do that through our classes and, and therapy. And I'd love to share actually a little discount code for your community, for people who want to give things a chance. Oh, great. You got at the end. And then in terms of what's next for wellness in general, what I hope is next is a realization that quick fix answers are not the way to go. Like, just like with exercising and eating well, it's not always fun or comfortable, but that's what's going to get your body to where it should go. And the same is true with emotional health. People say, what is the easiest answer for emotional health? And there really aren't silver bullets. The truth is, the easiest answer to live an emotionally fit life is to do the work every single day for the rest of our lives. <laughs> and that maybe doesn't sound approachable, but it's what will really get people to where they want to go. So I hope that, that we're moving toward that kind of approach to mental health care. Yeah, and it's it's true for everything in life, right? Like nothing happens overnight that's worth feeling wonderful about. 100%. Totally. So one last question about Koa's future. Are you eventually wanting to open more physical spaces around the country or keeping it really digital with a flagship in San Francisco? It will be both. So we will definitely have brick and mortar spaces all over the country. We want it to be an in-person experience wherever possible. And then we will continue to maintain the remote ability for people to join because there's also something, like you said, really accessible and important about that. Excellent. All right. Well, we're going to switch on over to some rapid fire Q&A. Okay. So starting with the best life advice that you've received. Oh, great. Okay. I, I have a good answer to this one. So I'll tell you the whole backstory. So when I was in my early 20s, I had a family member who was in the hospital and it was not looking good. It did not look promising that this person was going to make it. And I was extremely distraught and I still felt very dependent on this person. And I just wasn't sure what I was going to do. And we invited over a family friend who was an oncologist and a psychologist. So he was very used to dealing with families who were losing loved ones. And I said to him, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle it if this person passes away? And he said, Emily, the version of you that will handle that tough thing, if and when it happens, will be born into existence in that moment. And that version of you will have had more time and life experience and wisdom to know what to do than you have right now. And so it's not fair of you to ask your present self to know how to handle a future problem. You have to trust your future self to deal with that future thing and just focus on handling this moment, which is also tough. And this is your only job is to handle your present pain and trust your future self to handle future problems. And this advice not only was so comforting in that moment, but I draw on it all the time. Whenever I'm anxious, whenever I'm worrying about how I'm going to handle something or what I'm going to do if something tough happens or what will I do next week when we're facing a tough company problem even, I'll remind myself, you know what? My future self, she's a badass. She will figure it out. I trust her. I'm going to focus on what's true right now. Oh, I absolutely love that. That is such a good one to a good one. What is your superpower? My superpower. So I think my superpower is taking complex psychological concepts and explaining them in more digestible ways. 
So that's what I base my whole Twitter account on is how can I take something that took me a semester to learn and put it into 280 characters? That is a superpower. (laughs) So I hope that people can take in these little bite-sized ideas about psychology and emotional fitness in that way. That's awesome. What is your favorite wellness hack? Oh, wellness hack. I think one thing I'd say is we wildly underestimate the power of just asking for what we need instead of hoping someone will read our mind. We do this all the time. It can feel like if we explicitly say, here's what I want from you, that then when we get it, it somehow doesn't count. But that's just not fair. It's not how we work. We need to advocate for ourselves, put words to things, and give others an opportunity to meet those needs. It's a good one, too. Three random things that you're currently loving. So it could be podcast, book, product, anything that is on your love list right now. Okay. Number one, stone fruit season. I just absolutely love the summer. I love all of the things that grow on trees during this time. And I've just been loading up on stone fruit, especially, and also like watermelon salad with feta and mint has really mm. been a jam this week. What else have you been doing with the stone fruit? Have you just been eating as is or making like cobblers, Chris? Oh, I've been doing a lot of um, peach and burrata salad with balsamic glaze on top. I don't know if you call that a salad, but it's good. (laughs) It's a salad. Okay. The second thing I've been loving is seven second hugs. Like it had just been so long without physical touch and it's such an important one. And so feeling now that I'm vaccinated, safe to give other vaccinated people hugs has been really nice. What, real quick on that one, what is the science behind the seven seconds? Because I've heard this before, but it would be great yeah. if you quickly touch on that. Yeah. So the idea is that at about the seven second mark, your body releases oxytocin. And oxytocin is a neurotransmitter that's responsible for love and bonding. That's why skin-to-skin contact is so important when we're really young and why physical touch makes such a big difference. And so you, it's, it's a drug. You essentially get to release this natural drug into your bloodstream just by making close, safe, lovely physical contact with someone for that amount of time. Great. Thank you. Yeah. And then, oh, a third thing is I've been really into the show White Lotus on HBO. I don't know if you've seen it yet. It's about a bunch of people at a Hawaiian resort and all the shenanigans that ensue. And there's like an undertone of privilege commentary and what it means for, you know, people who have had things given to them their whole life and people who've had to work for them. But on the surface, it's just really entertaining. Like nothing happens and yet you're super engaged and the soundtrack is really fun. It's like a suspenseful jungle sound soundtrack the whole time. It was, it's been good. All right. Check that one out. Yeah. What do you want more of in your life? Right now, what I want more of is travel. I really put travel on hold as most of us did during this time. And I'm really ready to be out there and exposing myself to different people and culture and sights and foods and sounds and all of those things. So I'm ready for that. Well, what's top on your list? Places I to think go. Japan. If I wanted to go to Japan my whole life, essentially, and we had plans to do it before the pandemic hit. And so we're waiting until it feels like it's really safe and we can get the full experience. But I think Japanese culture is so profound and amazing and I'm really excited to be there. That sounds awesome. What do you want less of in your life? Let's see. I think probably many people listening to this can relate to this, which is I'd like less of the both internal and external belief that constant productivity is the only way to realize our potential and value. 
I want a little less pressure on myself to feel like I have to be doing in every moment and that I can focus a little more on just being some of the time. A meal that you'll never forget. Well, there's so many because food is one of my top joys in life. But what comes to mind is that in my family, one of our traditions was that on your birthday, you got to pick what was made for dinner. And so each of us would kind of pick all of the favorites, you know, the favorite main dish and the favorite side and the favorite dessert. And I just have really lovely memories of sitting with my family and eating the meal of my dreams cooked lovingly by my parents and just feeling very blessed. And lastly, what is your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Ooh, if I could only pick one, I'm going to go with therapy. That it is so powerful to sit with another person who's been trained to help reflect you back to yourself. And that the relationship you have with your therapist comes to essentially represent all of your relationships in life. And it's been such a game changer for me. I feel like all of the best things about my life, I can directly attribute to the work that I did in therapy. And I wish it for everyone. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. So in closing, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to hit? I guess I just want to invite all of your listeners to try out emotional fitness at COA. If head over to joincoa.com, J-O-I-N-C-O-A.com. Use code friends of COA and you'll get a little discount. And we would love to see you there. And don't be shy with feedback. We want to hear how people feel about it. And we're so excited to support everyone with their emotional fitness journey. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for coming on the podcast today. It's such a pleasure to have you. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the important work you're doing and for supporting your community so beautifully. And I look forward to speaking soon. Thanks so much. Bye. Take care. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.